Now on this, uh, these Sunday mornings, we've been in the book of Romans. Romans follows the first in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then the book of Acts. Next is the book of Romans. And Romans was a letter written to first century Rome, to Christians really in first century Rome, but everyone there because Paul was, felt the need to go there and preach the gospel. But you see, I have entitled it Paul's Letter to the 21st Century. And I'm trying to establish a connection between the culture of first century Rome and the culture of 21st century uh, America or the world today. I want you to see how relevant, really, this book is. Really, all the Bible is to our everyday life, but the book of Romans, in particular, is relevant to our world. And so last week, we saw at the end of chapter 1, beginning from verse uh, 21 down to the end of the chapter in verse 32, how Paul painted us a picture of what happens when a person or a culture rejects God. Not just the concept, not rejecting the concept of God, but really rejecting God, God's revelation of himself. And God, and that through, through what's been made, through the created things. And so if I can look at the order in an atom, or I can look at the order in the universe, and then decide that God is, the God who made it must be a man, just a man, or he must be a cow, or he must be uh, a snake or something that crawls on the ground, or even worse, some, uh, something that uh, all creation is, is something that all life is, is something that crawled up out of some primordial goo at, at the beginning of time, and life is one colossal accident then what God does to people like that is God really lets them go. He lets them go their own way. And the first thing he does is he, he releases them to their own passions. And when they, they substitute their own lust uh, to, to meet the needs of their emptiness, and what happens is that they, they burn themselves out. It, it gets to the point, we used the woman at the well as an example last week, that they no longer, it no longer satisfies them. And then the, the, they, they begin a death spiral. The, the, we called it the death spiral of the soul. And it not only happens to the individual, but it happens to their culture. The whole culture enters that. And, and so uh, they, they reject the revelation God has given them, just like Eve did in, in the garden when the serpent deceived her and told her there were going to be no consequences to disobeying God. God uh, gives them up to descend even further, and they, uh, he, he gives them up to degrading passions, and the, and the death spiral continues as they spiral toward judgment. And then Paul used that phrase a third time, God lets them go, and the whole culture, the whole culture, Paul says, becomes infected so that it begins to look like what Paul described at the end of the chapter, and I'm going to read that to you from the Good News Translation. It's not our text today. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen to how it's described. Paul said, Because those people refuse to keep in mind the true knowledge of God, he has given them over to corrupted minds so that they do the things they should not do. When God lets you go, you begin to do the things you should not do. The culture begins to do things it should not do. 
They are filled with all kinds of wickedness, evil, greed, and vice. They are full of jealousy, murder, fighting, deceit, and malice. They gossip and speak evil of one another. They are hateful to God, insolent, proud, boastful, and they think of more and more ways to do evil. They disobey their parents. They have no conscience. They do not keep their promises. They show no kindness or pity for others. They know that God's law says that people who live that way deserve death. And that's Paul's message in the book of Romans. We'll get to chapter 3. We'll hear him say, the wages of sin is death. It comes as the judgment of God. And so we're going to begin to move into chapter 2 in just a moment and talk about the judgment of God. But Paul clearly said last week, and you agreed with him, there are those who deserve the judgment of God. Perhaps you're thinking it's about time somebody said what ought to be said. As you heard last week, uh, we looked at our own culture and, 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 and how it's collapsing around us. And, and you, you agree with Paul. You would say, amen, if he were preaching here. All of these people deserve the judgment of God. These terrible people. And the terrible things that they do, they deserve the judgment of God. You would probably agree with that, and I agree with it too. But unfortunately, what Paul has just done is suck us into his argument, because that's what he's doing. He's making a tremendous argument, getting you to agree with him, getting you to pass judgment on your own society, on your own culture. You look at it as it's spiraling downward, as it's in chaos. We look at politics and economics, and we look at our world and we say, what's happening to our world? It looks like it's crashing down around us. These people need judgment. They need, they need to be punished. Something's wrong. And Paul said, yes, something's wrong. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, since you're bright enough to see all this, basically, you have no excuse, every one of you, who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. Now, God has a subtle way of getting our attention. He shows us evil in someone else. He says, look at there. You see that guy over there? You think he needs to be punished? And we shake our head and we say, yeah, he, he needs to be punished. He's a bad guy. He's a bad dude. He's got evil in his life. He needs to be punished. And then God slips up behind us and he gets our attention. He did that in the Old Testament, by the way. And there's a neat story in the Old Testament and I want to share that with you. There was a man named Nathan the prophet who one time came to David. David was the king, and he came to David and told him a story about this man who had done something absolutely terrible. And here's the story. He said to David, he said, David, there were two men in one city, and one was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he bought and nourished 
And it grew up together with him and with his children, and it, it would eat of his bread and, and drink out of his cup and, and lie in his bosom. That little ewe lamb, David, was, was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to see the rich man, and the rich man was unwilling to take from his flock or his herd to prepare a meal for the wayfarer who had come to him. And so rather he took the poor man's little lamb, little ewe lamb, right out of his arms. And he took it, and he killed it, and he cooked it, and he fed it to his friend who had come to see him. And when David heard the story, David was, he was up in arms. David said, that man is such a horrible, evil man. That man deserves to die. And Nathan, probably, since he was talking to the king, cleared his throat, straightened himself up and said, David, you are that man. You see, David could see evil in somebody else's life, but he couldn't see evil in his own life. What David had done was he had taken another man's wife and he had that man go into battle where he would be killed so that he could have his wife. And David was evil, but David couldn't see it in his own heart. So, Paul said, verse 3, Do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So, this leads us to a question that we need to consider. You need to consider it, and I need to consider it. It is for all of you. It was for everyone reading the book of Romans. Paul says, here's the question. Will you escape the judgment of God? Will you? Now, you can say when you look at the man that Nathan was talking about, he needs judgment. The judgment of God rightly falls on people like that. You look at the people in the first chapter of the book of Romans, and, and Paul lists them, those who pour themselves into their lust and dishonor their bodies, those with degrading passions, those who practice homosexuality, those who just go deeper and deeper and deeper into sin until they spiral downward toward destruction, they deserve to die. The Bible says so. And you agree, they deserve the judgment of God. But what about me? Am I subject to the judgment of God? After all, I come to church every Sunday. I drop money into the offering plate, maybe I sing the songs, I, I pray, I consider myself, you know, a believer. I've been a church member all my life. Now what you might not know is that Paul's addressing a group of Jews in, at this moment who might have been reading this letter and he knew how they thought. They were God's chosen people after all. God loved them. He had a purpose for them. His commandments came through them. He used their prophets in their temple. Why, even the Messiah came through them. How could they deserve the judgment of God? Paul made it perfectly clear why they could deserve the judgment of God. You look at all these people who took what they knew of God and rejected it. Based on what was made, they look up at the night sky and they say, there couldn't have been a God who made that. That's just an accident. Or they look at the, the order inside an atom. Oh, there couldn't be a God who made that. That's just an accident. But yet you look inside your Bible and you know about the cross. You know about God's grace and his mercy. You know about his mighty acts revealed in his word. 
And you give God just as much of a cold shoulder from time to time as the pagans do. And so look at verse 4. Paul says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing the goodness of God, this goodness of God that he's been showing you all along is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God's goodness and kindness is to lead you to repentance, and he, he can condemn you because you have a greater awareness of what he's done and who he is. When you see no need for repentance for yourself personally, when you measure your goodness by somebody else's badness rather than by the standard of God's righteousness, you're losing sight of the fact that you're accountable before God and you will receive the judgment of God. Because, here's, the, here's why, it is because you are a sinner in need of repentance. Like David, you're the man who needs to repent. Like David, you're the woman who needs to repent. And we need to get off the high horse of our own self-righteousness and measure ourselves against the immeasurable, unfathomable righteousness of God. Now, I once had a man tell me, that he was tired of being preached to like he was a sinner. He, I was his pastor, and he was, he was being unkind at the moment and rather straightforward, and he said, I'm tired of being preached to like I'm a sinner. And he told me right in the middle of the sanctuary, and as he said sinner on the, other, on the, on the front side of sinner, he used a curse word, I'm tired of being preached to like I'm a sinner. And I was, smiled and was nice to him and moved out of the way and got out of the way of any lightning that was going to fall and zap him that could have zapped us both because both of us were sinners and both of us were deserving of the judgment of God. In fact, all of us are deserving of the judgment of God because all of us are sinners and are in need of repentance. Not just the people in the first chapter of Romans, but the people who say, Amen, that they deserve the judgment of God. You too deserve the judgment of God. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the message of the book of Romans. And Paul said, the problem is that you still have a stubborn and unrepentant heart. A heart that will not do what God wants you to do. And by the way, and I know I've emphasized this, this is the third Sunday, but perhaps we need to hear it. In that list of terrible sins that Paul lists that include everything from people burning themselves up following their lust to homosexuality to murder in that list. He includes disobedient to parents. And he says, those who do such things are worthy of death. Jesus told a story along that line. He said, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, Go and work today in my vineyard. And he said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said to the same thing, Son, go and work today in my vineyard. And he said, I will. But he went not. Which of the two of them did the will of his father? Well, obviously it was the first one who repented of his disobedience. He realized it and he corrected it. 
The other one made a promise and didn't follow through. Which one are you? Are you the one who makes promises and doesn't follow through? Or are you the one who's repented of your disobedience and said, I ought to be doing what, I ought to, what God has asked me to do, but I've not been doing it, and now I'm changing my mind. That's what repentance is. But what is the judgment of God? That's, that's the thing that we need to finally conclude today. What is the judgment of God? Well, judgment is the decree of a judge and the punishment to which one is sentenced. Now, you know, here's the problem. We talk about the judgment of God. We look at the, 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 the book of Romans and we say, well, you know, if it was relevant to our time and our culture, we wouldn't be talking about the judgment of God. Because the judgment of God turns people off. When you talk about the judgment, it turns people off. And it turns them off because it, it, it makes them feel uneasy, uncomfortable. Well, I just, I've, I've tried to tell you how much 21st century America looks like 1st century Rome in so many different ways. And Paul had a real burden to preach the gospel there. He felt an urgency for those people in that culture. He felt an urgency for them because the wrath of God was coming. We've looked at that already. And now he says it again. The judgment of God is coming. And you say, well, we don't need to hear about the judgment of God because it makes people feel uneasy. It's supposed to make you feel uneasy because it, you're in a desperate position, in a dangerous position. The judgment of God is coming, after all. The worst storm that's ever come on this world, the wrath of God is coming, Paul says. Look at, look at what he says at verse 6. He will render, God will, he will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. There are Several things here we need to see about the judgment of God. First, it is a righteous judgment. It is a righteous judgment. The Bible says, we've already looked at that verse in, in verse 2 where it says, the judgment of God rightly falls. Do you realize that in, this, in the first five verses of the second chapter of Romans, Paul mentions the judgment of God five different times times the judgment of God is coming the wrath of God is coming and when it falls it will rightly fall have you ever noticed that once in a while somebody that's in jail will get out of jail maybe they've been in jail for years and then then some investigation comes up or some DNA evidence shows they didn't commit commit the crime they were they were innocent they were wrongly convicted that'll never happen with the judgment of God the judgment of God rightly falls but also, the judgment of God is not only a righteous judgment, but it is a forever and a final judgment. Forever and final judgment. There's no second chance. There's no parole, no getting out, no escape. That's why Paul encourages people to flee from the wrath to come. 
In the book of Revelation, we read of those who will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in the full strength, which mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and they will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. The judgment of God is a righteous judgment. It's also a forever final judgment. And according to this, it's a fearful judgment. It ought to make people uneasy when they hear about the judgment of God. In that same first century world, Paul always talked to people about the judgment of God. As a matter of fact, he talked to a high Roman official whose name was Felix on one occasion. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 24, verse 25, that when Paul was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix trembled. He became frightened. You also ought to be frightened. But certainly some people, you say, will have to endure such a judgment, but I'm not going to endure the judgment of God. Even though I just read you those passages of Scripture where the Lord said, each person, every soul... And everyone, Paul said all three of those words in verses 6 through 11, but the judgment of God is a comprehensive, all-inclusive judgment. Near the end of the book of Romans in chapter 14, verse 10, Paul said this, For we, and if I say we, who do I mean? I mean you and I mean me. That's a pronoun we all understand. For we shall all appear, Paul said, before the judgment seat of God. That's Romans 14.10. He included himself in that group. He included me in that group. He included you in that group. Will you escape the judgment of God? We asked that question earlier. You say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so that means that I'm not going to have to have the, be in any kind of judgment scenario. Well, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth writing to the church, writing to the pastor, writing to the deacons, writing to the Sunday school teacher, writing to the boys and girls in the first and second grade and the third and fourth grade, writing to all of us, to, to anybody who would hear it, because Paul's all about this judgment thing because it's important to him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, Paul said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why I tell people. He said, I'm afraid for them. I'm afraid for what they're facing. God's judgment is an impartial judgment. Judgment day is coming. God's wrath is coming. The only hope on that day will be Jesus Christ. The only shelter on that day will be Jesus Christ. The only deliverance from the wrath to come comes through Jesus Christ. The only escape from judgment will, will come through Jesus Christ. That's why you as a believer need to stay close to the cross and be repentant because judgment is coming. It's coming on our world. You know, one of the things that we see here, maybe this is one of the reasons history so often repeats itself. People turn their back on God. God lets them go. 
They begin to pursue their passions until they burn themselves out. They believe the lie that Satan tells them. God lets them go again. They sink deeper. Culture continues to spiral out of control. We've seen the most advanced civilizations rise to pinnacles of great height and then vanish into oblivion. It happens over and over and over. It's the judgment of God and the death spiral of the soul.